So last week, we began a new sermon series titled, I Am. During the course of his ministry, Jesus made seven statements, beginning with the phrase, I am, that both identify himself as God incarnate, but that also directly reveal something about his character and his mission. And so we're going to spend the summer studying those I am statements. And my hope is that through the course of this series, we'll be able to learn more about the character and nature of Jesus and maybe even experience the gospel in a new way. So last week we started with the first I am statement, I am the bread of life. So we kind of talked about the the context around that story and how after Jesus had fed 5,000 miraculously with uh, loaves and fish, uh, they all wanted more. So that all these crowd followed him across the Sea of Galilee uh, in order to try and get another free meal. But instead, when they found him, Jesus told them that he was the bread of life. And as we learned through our study last week, we learned that what that means is that uh, he is the source of perfect spiritual fulfillment, not that he is the source of uh, physical bread or a free meal. He is here to fulfill us and to sustain us. Whoever believes in him and participates in him will never be hungry for fulfillment again. Now this week, we're going to be in John 8, verses 12 to 30, and this is the second I am statement. And this is where Jesus claims to be the light of the world. In his book, Life Together, Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote that sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. But in confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and the seclusion of the heart. Sin must be brought into the light. And and as I was reading and studying this week, I just thought that was a really good quote to be thinking about uh, as as we look at this and what it means for us that Jesus is the light of the world. And so I just kind of wanted to share that with you before we get started. Uh, But before we go too far, I just want to open with prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that you did send him into the world, and I thank you for all that he is and all that he was then as well. I just ask that you would help uh, enlighten us and open our minds to um, hear anew uh, who Jesus was and what his mission was and what that means for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I said last week, we've, uh, we've switched, as we switched series, we switched literary types in the Bible. Um, we often treat the Bible like it's one big book, and we've put it into one big book, but it's actually a compilation of many different things. And so what we were studying before was a letter. Someone wrote a letter to someone uh, personally. And so the way you read that is different than the way you read the Gospels. So the Gospel of John is a story. And so... We have to recognize that just like with, if you're reading a novel, you don't just open up in the middle and then just start reading. You have to know what's going on before and after. So it's important to know what's going on in this story uh, around our passage so that we can fully understand and appreciate uh, the verses that we're going to study today. So the part of the story we're jumping into right now takes place during something called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. 
And this is actually a feast that's celebrated even now by the Jewish community. It's meant to commemorate when the Israelites had to live in the wilderness for 40 years in the desert and then were led around by a pillar of fire. Eventually, this pillar of fire led them out of the wilderness, and that was gone. So what they would do is they would build a shelter outdoors, and they would live in that shelter during the entire festival. And there's a picture here. I don't know um, if you can kind of see, but there's these apartment buildings, and they would build all these little booths or shelters, and during the festival, they'd live in these booths, uh, to kind of remember when their ancestors had to live in the wilderness in tents. And so while they're living in these shelters, they would light all these candles as well. And these candles would remind them of the pillar of fire that led them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And they made an especially big deal out of this. They had a big lighting ceremony at the temple in the first century. And so... They would have all these people would come in and they'd light up the temple with these lights and it would remind them of Jesus, of, uh, sorry, uh, God the Father in the form of a pillar of fire leading them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Now obviously there's no temple now, but this picture is kind of blurry. It's just an illustration of what the temple kind of would have looked like, but at night lit up by all these lights uh, for this lighting ceremony. Uh, so it's obviously... The temple doesn't exist now, so it's just an illustration, but it kind of gives you that imagery of what it would have looked like for them. So the only thing that's a bit different is you kind of have to picture all this filled with thousands of people celebrating this festival. So this was one of the biggest festivals of the year, and in the first century it was expected that this and a handful of other festivals, all the men would come to Jerusalem for this celebration. And so we find before this passage today that Jesus' brothers have been trying to convince him to come to Jerusalem with them to celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles. But he said, no, my time hasn't come. But then after they left, he snuck down to Jerusalem for the festival anyways with his disciples. And at this point in his ministry, he's just kind of getting started, but the religious leaders were still looking for an opportunity to kill him and to arrest him. So he's being really secretive at this point. He doesn't just come in a big parade to Jerusalem. He, he kind of sneaks down with his disciples. Now the irony of this is that he still ends up going into the temple and teaching to the crowds at the festival anyways. So I, I find that kind of ironic that he snuck down to Jerusalem, but then he just came out in the middle of the biggest crowd at the biggest event during the festival and was like, how's it going? I'm here to preach about stuff, and I, I know you want to kill me. Here I am. Um, it just is kind of ironic to me, I guess. So he's at this story that we're reading today. He's at the temple in the treasury, uh, which is kind of in this extra lit up part. And he's speaking to the crowd that's there for the festival. And so I have this picture here. I know it's not the greatest picture, uh, but I just kind of want to keep it in mind as we go through this story uh, picture Jesus amidst this crowd, surrounded by all these lights and candles, and imagine um, thousands of people for this festival, just to kind of give you the, the imagery in your mind, uh, because this was a real event that really did happen. So here's our passage today, John 8, 12 to 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
The Pharisees challenged him and said, Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. And I'll stop for a second. Where the offerings are put, if you can just go back one slide. I didn't have this in here. Um, you see the big second door there right before that big tall part? Through that door just to the left. Um, so this is where Jesus would be standing when this was taking place. And that's where the, the altar was where they would sacrifice these offerings. And it says, yet no one seized him. He's that close to the to the inner part of the temple, but no one seized him while he's saying this stuff because his hour had not yet come. So once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where you go, you, where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where you go, I cannot come? But he continued and said, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they said. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke this, he many believed in him. So last week we kind of had to get into the story a bit before the I am statement was revealed to us. This week, here it is. It's right at the start. As soon as it begins, I am the bread of life. Last week, uh, during that story, he'd fed everyone bread and fish. And then the next day called himself the bread of life. In this story, he's at a festival celebrating God leading Israelites out of the wilderness as a pillar of fire, surrounded by all these candles in the temple. And that's the context when Jesus says this in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when I was at MCC full-time, um, Eileen Tanner, you may have met her before, she used to go around the churches visiting. Um, she was a professor at MCC and she taught creative teaching methods, Christian education. She was always very big into illustrations. It was really important, you had to illustrate your point so she would really appreciate how much Jesus is into illustrations in his teaching as well. So he's teaching all this while surrounded by these lights. He's saying, I'm the light of the world, while they're celebrating God as the light leading them out of the wilderness. So it's important to realize 
this isn't just a clever illustration or object lesson. In the festival, the lights literally represented God, leading them out of the wilderness. Jesus is saying, just as God led the Israelites out of the wilderness and into the promised land, I am here as a light to lead you out of the darkness and into a new life. And also by saying this, clearly he is saying, I am God. Just by saying, I am, he is saying that. And like I said before, um, if you think Jesus never claimed to be God, my hope is that this series will definitively change your mind. So obviously, this was not something that the Pharisees would have been happy to hear. Uh, he, he went past the usual assertions that teachers would have of enlightenment or enlightening people, and he claimed to be the light itself. And not just any light, but the light of the world, which was a role reserved for God the Father. So by saying that he's connecting and identifying himself with the God who gave them the Feast of Tabernacles and the reason for the Feast of Tabernacles. So obviously this wouldn't have impressed them as the religious leaders, and their response to this is found in these following verses. So starting in verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him, saying, Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. So, in Jewish law, it was required for there to be at least two witnesses for anything in order to be considered a credible source. If you were the only witness, then your, your witness was not credible. So, they immediately just try to discredit his statement, saying, well, anyone can come up here and say they're the light of the world. Where's your proof? Like, you can't just come up and say that. Like, you must have some sort of support to defend your point. And Jesus responds by saying, well, first of all, as he's come from heaven, he's not subject to these rabbinic rules of testimony. But then he says that even if he was subject to those rules, he would still be credible because the God the Father has testified on his behalf. And actually, as we read through the Gospel of John, what you find is that Jesus actually has four witnesses to who he truly is. First of all, himself. Then second, God the Father. Those are the two we mentioned here. Third, John the Baptist is a testimony to who he is. And then fourth, Scripture is a testimony to who he is. However, the Pharisees, of course, refuse to accept any of those witnesses regarding Jesus. So they already have written those off in past instances in the Gospel of John. So then verse 19, they ask him, where is your father? Because they think he's talking about Joseph, his physical father. Jesus says, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So, as I was studying this week, it seems that there's a bit of a disagreement about this bit here. Um, 
Some people think that they're mocking him when they say, where is your father? Uh, and some people just think that he mis um, they misunderstood him. I think that they misunderstood him. It's still fairly early in his ministry. Uh, he hasn't spent a ton of time in Judea yet, like around the Jerusalem area. Uh, so it's not unreasonable to think that they honestly did not know he was talking about God here. They said, where's your second witness? He said, my father's my witness. So they said, well, where's your father? So I don't think that they actually knew he was talking about God here. I think they were looking for where his human father is. If he's able to testify on your behalf, where is he? Now, similar to last week, um, Jesus when Jesus crossed the lake, the crowd asked when he got there. He ignored their question and then gave them his own answer. He does the same here. He ignores their question and gives his own answer. Not where's your father. He says, you don't know me and you don't know my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now it's probably good that they did not know he was talking about God here. Because if they did, I think they probably, as the religious leaders of the day, would have been foaming at the teeth that he would dare suggest that they, the religious leaders, do not know God. So for that religion, they were the head. Like, imagine going into the Catholic Church and saying to the Pope, you don't know God. Like, he'd probably not be happy about that. And I feel like here, they probably would not have been happy either if they understood that he was saying, you don't know God. So John 8, 21, once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued and said, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you indeed will die in your sins. And so, to me, it's clear from the harshness of his words here that if they continue to oppose Jesus and his ministry, there is no hope for their salvation. And I think that's important to note because as a society, we're kind of getting into this place where people believe that all roads lead to heaven. You can believe whatever you want. You can have your own truth. Worship whomever you wish. Um, we all worship the same God with different names, that kind of theology or lack thereof. Uh, this refutes that. He leaves no room for universalism. And universalism is just the idea that everyone will be saved or that all truths are true. Um, and so I think this is a statement for us as well. You can't do whatever you want and be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And that's something that we're also going to explore more as we go through these I am statements. I don't want to steal from future weeks to support my point today, but the point here is that faith in Jesus is the only way to be saved from our sin, and it's the only way to receive eternal life. John 8, 25, they said, who are you? That's their response to what he said. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. So he told them that he's not of this world and that he's from above. So they're confused. And, you know, I think for us today, with the full picture of everything, you know, we've been studying the Bible our whole lives. 
it's really easy for us to look back and think, they were the stupidest people on the planet. <laughs> How could they not get it? He has told them multiple times just in this conversation exactly who he is. And again, it's easy for us because we have the full picture. But you can sort of feel Jesus' frustration here with them as well. What do they think he's been telling them repeatedly all this time? So again, instead of answering their question, he moves on and says he has much more to say in judgment of them, but he is there to proclaim the message and will of God the Father. So Jewish law dictated that if you were sent as a messenger or an agent, you had to accurately represent the person who sent you. And the extent to which you did that, or the actions you did, was therefore backed by the sender's authority. So what that, all that fancy words here means is that Jesus was sent by God to expose sin, yes, and that's what he'd done up to now in this conversation. He'd pointed out their flaws, but also to offer salvation and eternal life. And that is the message that he was there to proclaim. The extent to which he'd exposed their sin up to now in this conversation, that was God's will. But now he moved on to the rest of the message in the following verses. So in verse 27, he says, They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. They didn't understand he was telling them about God. So Jesus kind of moves away from criticizing them and trying to explain. And he just says this, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even while he was speaking, many in the crowd believed in him. So I think it's clear that the people in the crowd, the religious leaders, they understood that he thought he was sent by God. They, they got that part. But they were personally, many of them, especially the religious leaders, unwilling to accept that they themselves um, were receiving a messenger who was actually from God. So he kind of just gives up on trying to convince them and just prophesies instead. He prophesies his own execution. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. He's done trying to convince them in this instance. He's just saying, you will know. It'll probably be too late, but you will know. He's also identifying himself with the servant in Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And in the context of that whole passage, it's really a prophecy about a suffering servant being crucified and sacrificed for the people. And then Jesus concludes by saying, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus didn't sit all this at a time when the religious leaders were out for his blood. He taught this at one of the biggest festivals of the year without fear. Thousands of people were at this lighting ceremony. Jesus always did what pleased God the Father, and God the Father never abandoned him. He protected him throughout his ministry, and no attempts to bring it to a premature end succeeded. Okay, so 
what you're going to notice, I know this is only the second week, but what you're going to notice the more we go through these statements uh, and build on them is that there's definitely a theme of how this kind of goes. Um, but as we move on to the application piece, I don't want you to become distracted by all the white noise in these stories because there's always a lot of it, uh, especially any of the times when the Pharisees are involved. There's always a lot of back and forth and arguing and fighting. I don't want us to get distracted by all that white noise. What I want us to do is focus on what Jesus is revealing to the audience or the reader about himself through the fighting and the arguing. Because these statements are all about who Jesus is and what he does, what he came to do. So last week, we focused on the fact, not that people wanted free bread, we focused on the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. And that as the bread of life, he is the perfect source of spiritual fulfillment. And that is what that piece of his character and divinity means for us. So this week, I want to do the same. As the light of the world, who is Jesus and what does he do? What does it mean for us that Jesus is the light of the world? What can we get out of this story that explains that for us? So the first thing is that the light of the world, Jesus, gives us freedom from darkness. And of course, darkness is sin and death in this picture. What we saw in our passage today was that the religious leaders did not understand because they were in darkness. Jesus said, whoever follows me will walk, will never walk in darkness. So as the light of the world, he gives us freedom from that. He gives us freedom from sin. He leads us out of the wilderness and into new life. 1 John 1, 5 to 10 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if we follow Jesus, he leads us out of the darkness and into the light. If we confess our sin, he forgives us. He brings us out of the wilderness and takes us into the promised land, out of a world of death and sin and into eternal life. So that's the first way that Jesus being the light of the world impacts us or what it means for us. The second is that the light of Jesus enables us to see and know the truth. As you saw in this story, and as I just mentioned, the religious leaders did not get it. And neither did most of the crowd. Some of them did, and they believed. Or even if they didn't understand, they still just believed and put their faith in him. Jesus is the light of the world, and it's only through him that the truth is illuminated to us. We cannot understand truth without him. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments, judgments about all things, 
but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the Lord, mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And then also John 8, 31 to 32. And this is right after our passage today. It's the very next verse. It's what Jesus says to those who did believe him when he talked. He said, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus is the light that illuminates truth for us. If you follow him, he will enable you to see and know the truth. And then third, the light of Jesus gives us a light of our own. Just as Jesus reflects the light of God the Father, we reflect the light of Jesus. But with that light comes responsibility as well. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus is the light of the world, and while he was on the earth in his body, his light shone to all those around him. But now that he has gone back to heaven, we are the light on his behalf. We reflect his light like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Jesus was sent into the world to be a light to all, but then Jesus says this about us in John 17, 18. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So now we have a responsibility and we have a calling to be light to the world around us. Just as Jesus is the light of the world, the church is supposed to be the light of the world as well. So as we conclude and wrap this up for this week, let's remember what it means for us that Jesus is the light of the world. After Jesus had said everything, the crowd said, who are you? After he told them exactly who he was and what he was there to do, they said, who are you? They didn't realize that he just told them exactly who he was and exactly what he was here to do. They were confused. They said, who are you? We go back and study that passage to learn about who Jesus was. He came to give us freedom from the darkness of sin so that we could live in the light of freedom from sin. He came to illuminate God's truth for us so that we would be able to shape our lives after it. And he came to make us a light as well so that we can then share that light with the world around us. Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let's walk in the light. Let's experience that freedom from darkness. Let's live the truth of God. And let's share the light of Jesus with the world around us. Father God, I thank you that you did send Jesus into the world to save us. I thank you for everything that he is to us and everything that he's done for us. And I just ask that as we go through this lesson, um, this seven weeks of statements about Jesus, that you would help us to be ready to receive and to learn more about him and what that means for us. And that you would just help us to apply it to our lives and to make it impactful so that
we can shape our lives after him. I just ask that as we go out this week, you would help us to be a light to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.